podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast, summer 2020. Uh, What are we speaking about today, Jane? Well, today we are talking to our special guest, Ronnie Reiter-Pullman. She is a lecturer and course leader in industrial and organizational psychology at the University of Nebraska. And she spent most of her career researching innovation and creativity. So uh, it's going to be a pretty exciting episode. It's one of three that we've recorded with her. And today we're talking about things like cognitive processes and also a little bit of myth busting. Sounds good. I can't wait to get into it. Okay, so here you are in the main body of this podcast, and today we are on the third of our Summer 2020 podcasts, Exploring Innovation. And today what we're really going to be focusing on is the role of cognitive process in innovation and creativity. And we might be busting a few myths in here as well. We'll just have to see. Um, As with the first two episodes, we've got an excellent guest. We've got Ronnie Ryder-Palman. And uh, before we get into the conversation, Ronnie, would you be able to introduce yourself and say a bit about yourself and your background to the audience? Sure thing. Uh, I'm a professor of organizational psychology at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I'm also the director of our organizational psychology graduate program. We have both a master's and a PhD, and I've been studying creativity and innovation for about 30 years. Great. Well, it sounds like you'll have some um, good insights for us today. Um, Before we get into exploring the role of, I guess, cognitive process in all of this, what, what exactly is innovation and creativity and how are they related? Sure. So um, we have agreement on what creativity is. We've had this agreement for about 40 years or so. Um, And we define creativity as uh, an idea or a product or a process that is both uh, original or novel, as well as uh, useful um, or effective meaning that both need to exist for something to be creative. It has to be new, but it also has to fulfill a particular need or address a problem. Um, The discussion about creativity and innovation is a little more um, in in conflict, but sort of the the semi-consensus that has emerged uh, relatively recently is that we talked about creativity as the early part of the process where we Uh, develop ideas. Um, So those early cognitive processes of uh, problem framing and uh, idea generation and um, implementation are the later processes of idea evaluation and selection and implementation. Right. Okay. Well, that's given us a bit of a journey throughout the creativity process through the the innovation process and stuff. Um, it's a sort of a follow-up question, right? When when I think about innovation, I've got a couple of things popping into my mind. So I've got, um, I guess, uh, Apple falling on my head and suddenly I know about gravity or I've got, you know, I sit in a bath and I know how to weigh gold or I, or I have snapshots from my education of moments of pure insight and light bulb, light bulb creativity. Is, is that roughly what we're getting at with innovation or, or how does that fit within the gamut of innovation? Um, So we actually, what we view as these aha moments, that actually doesn't quite happen. Um, It feels like it sometimes, 
or it feels like it from the outside sometimes. But when we look at what is going on, we find that these individuals worked on this problem for a period of time. And they may put it aside for a while and they may go do other things, but they've been thinking about this. And eventually they come up with a solution and it might feel like it's all of a sudden, but in fact, there's a lot of work that happens um, during that time period until the solution uh, is manifested. And it's, it's not this light bulb moment. That's interesting. One of the phrases that I, I grew up with in, in the house um, that I grew up in was every overnight success has 15 years of hard work behind it. Yep. And it feels like there's kind of something in, in that that fits with this. Absolutely. So, so then if we think about it, is in these environments or in these instances, we don't necessarily have those instant moments. We've got the, the sort of the processing in the background and we've been thinking and, and uh, you know, exploring concepts over time. In, in your opinion, if we think about the sort of creativity and innovation process, is there an actual process? I mean, can we do things? Can we uh, reflect or modify the way that we think or the way that we approach things in such a way that it increases our creativity or increases our ability to actually innovate? Absolutely. So um, there are a number of different models of creative processes, but what we find that is common to all of them is that there are three core processes. There's this problem framing or problem construction, problem identification, where you actually uh, identify what the problem is, you decide what you're trying to solve for, and so on. That's kind of the beginning part. Um, then you have the idea generation phase, uh, where you are coming up with multiple ideas. You may combine different ideas from um, uh, that come up to come up with a more complete solution. Um, and then you have uh, idea evaluation and idea selection. Um, we tend to present them sequentially, but the reality is that we go back and forth between these processes. So especially if we're not successful. So if we generate ideas and once we get to the idea evaluation phase, we go, you know, none of these ideas are great. We may go back and generate more ideas. We may even go back further and rethink about how we're thinking about the problem. Is that, is that something that, that we do in groups or we do individually, or does it work in, in both, both sort of environments? So um, there's very limited research on, on these processes and teams. Um, uh -huh. But my research suggests that it ha those things happen in teams as well. Yeah, interesting. And I've got a question for you. In my old role, one of the things that I used to do was to go around and do sort of team coaching type work and, and talk about problem solving. And we'd deliver, I guess it was like Toyota's A3 problem solving model and, and get teams to work through stuff like that. And and everything that we did was framed around problems. Um, but then later on, people started talking about opportunities. In, in your view, what is the difference between a problem and an opportunity? Or or how do you see the connection between those things? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting issue. So I think in terms of the framing, when you talk about a problem, you're looking for a solution. When you're talking about an opportunity, you're thinking about how can I capitalize on it? Um, I tend to use the word problem from a more uh, cognitive perspective. Um, so it's not viewed sort of as negatively as, as we typically frame it in, in a, a business sense, right? Um, but a problem can be an opportunity, right? If So if something is not working, you could view it as something that I need to find a quick fix for, 
or something that I can capitalize on and build a, a better product, for example. Um, we typically don't try to solve when we don't have problems. If things are going great, why mess around with them? So, so the notion is that a problem does present an opportunity in that respect. Okay. So, so if we think about your process, then, and if we go back to uh, what you talked about is, is the first of those three core stages. You talked about problem for, um, problem framing and, and sort of problem identification. What exactly is a problem framing and, and why is it important to have a process around our problem framing? Sure. So a lot of problems or situations that allow for creativity tend to be what we call ill-defined or really they're ambiguous, right? There's no one solution that is correct. So if I say two plus two, we all know it's four. If I tell you it's five, it's not because I'm creative. I'm, I'm just not correct. Um, problems that are more ambiguous allow for creative ideas. And the more complex the problem is, um, the more likely we are to come up with creative solutions, but also there are multiple pieces and, and complexities involved with that. Just think about the pandemic right now, right? So we have multiple aspects of it. And if we sit together and try to find a solution to this problem of the pandemic, um, expertise is going to play a role um, and in terms of how we think about the problem. So, you know, the medical doctor is going to think about how to treat this. The immunologist is going to think about a vaccine. As a psychologist, I might think about how do we get get work done when we're at home and can't go to work. So there are different perspectives. And the more of these perspectives we could take into account when we think about the problem, the more likely we are to come up with a solution that is, is more comprehensive, but it's also more creative. And, and within this, are you trying to kind of find a, a root cause, a root problem behind all of this? Or are you just trying to find a variety? Or, or what's the sort of end state that we're aiming for? Um, so really the issue is, what is the goal or purpose? What are we trying to solve for? And what are constraints that we have, right? Uh, anytime there's a problem, there's also restrictions or constraints. Typical ones include a timeline or a budget. Uh, most businesses don't have infinite budget or infinite time. So what can we do with the time that we have with the budget that we have? Um, and we're trying to put all of this together to try to structure this very ambiguous situation that we're in to help us direct us to potential solutions. What is interesting, though, is that if we um, the way we structure the problem and the way we define it will lead us towards certain solutions and lead us away from other solutions. We won't even entertain them. So the way, effectively, the way that we we choose or set out to navigate the problem-solving process effectively creates a limitation on the ways and the solutions that we might come up with. Is that is that right? Absolutely. So a great example that I, I use is, um, so the problem statement is there are mice in my basement. I can think about it as how do I catch the mice? So now I'm thinking about mice, uh, a mouse trap. Or I can think about it, how do I prevent the mice from coming in? 
A mousetrap is not going to help me to prevent the mice from coming into my basement in the first place. I need to think about sealing the basement better. So you could see how the way I framed the problem directed me toward a certain solution, but away from others. Now, if I start thinking about this as I need to trap the mice that are here, but also prevent the ones, the other ones from coming in, now I'm thinking in a more comprehensive way. And that makes total sense when you when you think about it in in the real world. Like the minute that you start to draw boxes around your solutions, you're effectively there's a load of stuff that's not going to get into the box. Um, I just want to come back to something I had, I, I had while you were talking earlier. I was just it, it, something struck me, and I wanted to follow up a little bit on it. You mentioned this idea of the way that we sort of flex how our brains work when we're, we're navigating problems and thinking about it, and I kind of made me think. Do we get out of practice of that? Is this something that is helpful and useful for, to be doing regularly so that we are used to it? Do we get better at it if we're doing it more frequently? Or is it is it just as simple as trying to pick a process every so often and, and following it well? So what we know is that creative people engage in these processes naturally and they're more effective at them. Um, we can train people to engage in these processes and, and we've done it. And the research shows that it, it works. Um, but I think for many people, it's just not as natural and they kind of have to remind themselves to do this. Yeah. And that, that makes really good sense. Okay. And the other thing I kind of wanted to ask about is I've come across uh, with varying degrees of confidence, lots of different tools or approaches or um, ways of uh solving problems um so there's like like there's there's different uh systems that you can use or there's different methodologies does does do you is there research about which ones work does it matter is it just about picking any process or are there some that that help more um so i'm not going to pretend i'm an expert on every single tool um and part of the issue is that there are a lot of tools out there that there's no research and if we start to look at them, we can connect them to engage to some research, but maybe sometimes we can't. Um, so uh, the, there is research to suggest that uh, engaging in the creative problem-solving processes and training people on them, uh, so for example, is helpful. So for example, for uh, looking at that first process of problem framing, um, it if we tell people before you solve the problem, just take a little bit of time, think about what you're trying to solve for. What are the different goals? What really is the problem? Restate it from multiple perspectives. Write that helps people be more creative. So there's all these like tools and, and things that managers can access or buy that they can bring in to think about how they uh, how they address solving problems and innovating. How? What advice, if any, would you have for them when they're thinking about what might be the best approach for their team? Um, I, I think it's important to see what the research supports. Um, so there's a lot of stuff out there that's just, you know, somebody's ideas or based on their experience. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong, uh, but it's not necessarily connected to research. 
Um, so if somebody could show you research that shows that it actually works and it goes beyond just anecdotal evidence and word of mouth and, you know, actual scientific research that shows that the process works, great. The other thing you could do is just check and see. We have a lot of published research that shows that these processes of, of problem definition, framing, problem construction, idea generation, idea evaluation, and choice are, are helpful and supported. Um, and if you could tie what they're proposing to, to that research, then you know that it's, it's of, of good quality. So there you go, listeners. If you are thinking about which tools to access, just ask some pointed questions about the academic literature that, uh, or the research that uh, upholds some of the some of the way the ways the tool's been built or the effectiveness of the tool. Um, okay, so we've gone through this problem solving process, right? We we've come up with a way of framing it, and we have had a really creative uh, few sessions with our team, and we've got some solutions. How how do we go about deciding? what's right because certainly in my experience quite often it's just the opinion of the most senior or the most influential person in the room is there a better way absolutely so first of all um one of the most frustrating sort of experiences that i've seen um and i get this if brainstorming doesn't work well brainstorming doesn't work when you leave the the uh, people with 100 ideas and no way of narrowing it down um, you really do need to engage in this idea evaluation and idea selection process. Um, so for idea evaluation, you really want to think about what, go back to your original conception. What was the goal? What was the purpose? What are you trying uh, to solve for? And then start looking at those ideas or solutions with that in mind. Do they solve the problem? Um, is it something that can be implemented? This is where practicality comes into place. You know, sometimes we have a great novel idea, but you can't do anything with it. We don't have the technology. We don't have the resources, whatever. Um, you have to put it aside. Um, it, can we tweak a solution? Do we have a solution that's close, but maybe not where we need it to be? Or are there are some hurdles that we can think of. How can we make it better? So you don't just take a, an idea and go, oh, yes, this is what we want to do. You might have great ideas that need a little bit more work before you can implement them. And, and then based on those evaluations, you can make decisions about which ideas to implement. And just a slight aside to that, when you work in a team that's come up with a solution that gets selected and you've been part of that process, do you think it's important that the people who've been through that process are also kept close to the execution of that idea if they're not part of the core team so that they can give context? Or is it sometimes better that the, the production team go away and then take that idea and just they themselves, you know, approach it creatively? What, what's the best? Is it what's the best with multidisciplinary teams? Is it best that they work all the way through the process? I personally believe so. Uh, because again, I think, as you mentioned, context matters. So understanding why a particular solution was chosen is important. Otherwise, what we sometimes find is that the the next the next team starts to reinvent the wheel. Right? They go they go. Well, we don't understand this solution. Maybe there's a better one out there. And they go through the entire process of trying to come up with s solutions and and 
spend time doing something that was already done. Um, if they understand why this particular solution was selected, if they understand the other solutions that were proposed and why they weren't chosen, it has a better chance of, of being implemented. You know, that's something that um, working in organizational change in a large organization, I would see all the time. We'd have somebody pop into a new team or move and, and say, well, clearly this is the obvious solution. Why don't we do this? And the rest of the people would sort of nod and smile for a second and then say, well, actually, we did we did think of that. Thank you. And we went through all these reasons and, and the sort of wasted energy around that is quite interesting. Um, if we if we go back a little bit in the process, we, we've talked about some about selection and, and implementation. We, we haven't really yet, though, touched on the ideation process. Have you got any any tips around ideation or, or idea generation or whatever we want, want to call this process of coming up with, with ideas? What is that process like and how can we make sure that we generate a great variety of, um, of thoughts at that stage? Sure. Um, so the important thing is to kind of let yourself go and come up with all kinds of ideas. Um, and remember that just because it's it's a silly idea or not a necessarily one that can be implemented, that does not necessarily mean that that it can't lead you to a better one or it can't be developed into a better one. And this is where the synergy of the team, I think, can really matter. Um, I'll give you an example. I was working with, with a large organization trying to uh, come up with solutions um, uh, for, for a problem they presented. Um, and one of, and, and again, we, we told them, don't, don't overthink things, just write down whatever you, you have in mind. And, and, you know, one of the solutions was we, we have too much work. Uh, we don't have enough experts. Um, we need to clone people. Well, obviously cloning is not a solution, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not going to happen. However, it led to a discussion about how we can ensure that the work continues around the clock. And the solution that they came up with was to have a different team of developers working in a different location. And in this particular case, you know, U.S. versus um, somewhere in Asia. So when you finish the work in the U.S., you hand it off to the team in Asia. They work on it while we sleep. And you come back in the morning and the work has continued. Um, not cloning, but it got them there, right? Yeah. It, and I don't know that they would have come up with that idea uh, without it. Yeah, that's a great example. And and when you're in those sort of like open spaces and trying to create this, this variety of ideas and, and to make sure that it's safe, how do you stop teams from anchoring on maybe the first suggestion or how do you stop some of the loudest voices in, in those rooms or environments dominating that conversation? So one of the things that I find that is helpful is to have a facilitator that is not part of the team. Okay. The leader can sometimes do it, but it helps if you have somebody that's not part of the team that takes the role of making sure that everybody's heard um, because they're not part of the team, they could tell the, the dominant person to be quiet, right, without ruffling too many feathers, um, and, and to ensure that that multiple ideas are brought forth. Yeah, certainly in, in the past, at various points, we've um, when we've done things that were sort of idea driven, we've we've identified people in advance and said, "Would you mind maybe playing a slightly different role here, or trying to do something like that to to enable that?" Um, mm-hmm. 
Okay, cool. So, so that's some stuff we can do with the uh, ideation process I- itself. If we think about then, if we just step back and think about, um, I guess, uh, again, you know, a usual, usual framing, uh, somebody leading a small organization or somebody that is leading a team in, in, a, in a larger organization um, who would like to get a bit better at this sort of cognitive process within their team, what do you think some of the key messages for them would be? You know, what, what can they take away as, as key things that they should do differently to, to be creative and innovative in their team in this way? Sure. So I think one of the first things is take time to think about what the problem is. Engage in that problem identification, problem construction process. We have a robust evidence to show that it works, that it improves creativity. And it's a step that we do not naturally engage in. Our tendency is to skip that and jump right into solutions. Um, and when and the evidence comes both from uh, research on creative people, but also training for creativity, we find that if that process is trained and people engage in it, the the improvement in creativity is is fairly large. Right. Um, when we look at the brainstorming or idea generation phase, it you know, don't censor both the self-censoring, but also censoring others. You know, silly ideas can develop into good ideas. And you need to give people permission to be silly. And it's okay. You don't have to choose those ideas, but it's it's okay to put them out there. Um, think about how you can combine ideas together. So people throw out a lot of different ideas and sometimes the best idea is one that's a combination of multiple ideas, which we don't necessarily, it's like when we are told, oh, choose an idea, we need to think, we tend to think that we need to choose one idea from the list of 10, not thinking that we could take idea number two, five and seven and put them together to come up with a better solution, right? And particularly when we have problems that have multiple causes, um, like the pandemic, it's it's those complex solutions that address those multiple causes, um, that combine multiple ideas that uh, work best. And think about what it is that you're evaluating. Think about why you're choosing particular ideas. Um, and it's okay. And set standards ahead of time. Why are we, what will we evaluate those ideas on? And therefore, what would lead to our our choice? That's great. There's there's a, a lot to take away in there. Um, I guess one last question for me around this again, thinking about somebody leading that sort of medium sized team or, or smaller organization. What's the advantage of bringing the team together to go through these processes? How does it how does it help to have everybody together going through this this uh, sure. processes? Um, there's not a lot of research on the initial process of problem identification, construction, and um, idea evaluation, there's a ton of research on idea generation or brainstorming. Um, So I'm going to focus on on the beginning and the end piece. So um, when we talk about problem framing, problem construction, bringing in multiple perspectives helps you think about the problem from perspectives you could not think about, right? So, um, you know, I tend to think about things from a organizational psychology perspective, um, bringing in somebody from a different perspective shakes me up a little bit, gives a wider perspective, um, and a more complex one. Um, When we get to the idea evaluation part, again, those multiple perspectives, um, when you start thinking about 
what is the best idea and how it can be implemented, different people with different expertise will see different obstacles, concerns, and so forth. You know, so a lot of times you see it uh, in organizations, they implement new software, and all of a sudden, after the implementation, all these concerns bubble up. They never ask people that are going to use the software what their issues are, what their concerns are, and they only find out after they implemented the software. Now, if you put together the programmers and the consumers in the same room, you might be able to address those concerns a lot earlier. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I think that's something that we, we see in the real world all too often. Um, okay, well, I think we're going to wrap up this uh, this podcast now, I think we, we've talked fairly well about um, some some key bits there around the cognitive processes around creativity, and we've talked about the early stage of problem framing or identification, the role of idea generation, and then that evaluation and selection process. And I think you've got some really practical hints and tips that people can take away. Um, just before we finish up, is there any way people can learn more about you and the things that you do or, or get in touch? Absolutely. Um, best way to get in touch with me is is via email. You can also follow me on, on Twitter. I'm always happy to get questions and help you find the right solution. Great. And we'll share those details when we release the podcast as well. So thank you very much for me. Thank you. Okay, so you're back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Ronnie, the third in our trilogy, um, Summer 2020 Trilogy Blockbuster about innovation. And we focused very specifically on the cognitive process side of things to do with innovation and creativity. Um, any key takeaways for you from that conversation, Jane? Yeah, I think, um, well, I, it's not so much takeaways, but definitely a couple of things I think are really important. One is I definitely don't think people spend enough time on understanding the problem or conceiving the problem or constructing the problem or reframing the problem. And uh, I think they should. And I'm delighted to know that she spent a significant amount of time researching that because that frustrates me a lot. I think people jump to trying to solve very quickly. And I think the other thing that um, I really liked is this idea that um, it can be learned. Like you can get better at it if you're not great at it. Um, and I know she talked about lots of people have it naturally, but she also talked about with training people get better. And I think that's a really important message. Yeah. And, and that's that's where I was going to settle on this as well was the... Uh, the ability that we have to improve. And I, I love the sort of meta-ness of we can get better at our ability to get better at stuff. But but I think there's something really, really true about it. And and that starting uh, phase that she's mentioned in a few of these podcasts about developing an awareness being a key starting point. So if we learn about the different stages that we speak about here, if we learn about the fact that we can reframe problems, if we learn about the fact that we can get better at generating ideas, and if we learn that we can get better at that evaluation and selection process, and that's such a great starting point and gives us a little bit of control and, and ability to influence this um, individually and, and in our teams. So I think there's a lot of positivity and optimism in our in our ability to influence and improve this stuff. So um, so I think that's that's really helpful. And let's face it, that's what we all need at the moment, a bit of positivity and optimism. So that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. And uh, if you've enjoyed this and you haven't had a chance to check out the other two that we recorded with Ronnie, please do. They were um, all really interesting and all centered around the uh, the concept of innovation. Um, as always, if you enjoyed it or if you want to have a chat, find us on Twitter, check us out on LinkedIn. Um, we love connecting with everyone. And if you check out our website, worldofwork.io, then you can sign up for our mailing as well. 
But otherwise, I think that's all we've got time for. So a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you for listening. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you. Thank you.